Blog Talk Radio. This is the gist of freedom with Manisha Sinha, Draper Chair in American History and the author of The Slave Scores, A History of Abolition. I will be talking to you every third Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black History and Current Events. You can find over 500 archive shows of the Gist of Freedom on blackhistoryuniversity.com. I look forward to spending every third Saturday afternoon with you. Hello, everyone. This is Manisha Sinha again, and this is our January show, January show for 2022. And I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Uh, January, of course, as I had mentioned in my last uh, blog post with you, uh, is an important uh, month in Black history. Um, We will soon be coming on to Black History Month in February, but already in January, 1st of January is uh, Emancipation Day, as we discussed last time. Uh, More importantly, Uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Day, that is a federal holiday, uh, is celebrated in January. And I think this year in 2022, when we will have midterm elections, it is important to reflect on the causes that Dr. King fought for and gave his life up for. I would say that those are my thoughts for today. I think we should be hopeful Uh, We should not be disheartened. Uh, We should not listen to the media echo chamber always uh, where they go on about Biden's low numbers and therefore making it plummet even more. Uh, And we should actually remember the good news uh, of uh, what has been achieved. And here's a comparison that we can make perhaps with Reconstruction, the period immediately after the Civil War, uh, when the Reconstruction state governments achieved a lot. Uh, They achieved uh, establishing for the first time in Southern history a public school system. Uh, They established the historically black universities and colleges that are still there today through land grants. Um, We must remember that at that time, in order to overthrow Reconstruction, uh, instead of highlighting the achievements of the Reconstruction state governments, both in terms of education, in terms of voting rights. Um, What we had was a media that criticized uh, these governments as inefficient and corrupt. Um, And they won the propaganda war. It's really important for us to remember that we should not go back uh, to that. Uh, that in fact we should resurrect the legacy of Reconstruction when you had black senators and congressmen, when you had black voting in the South, uh, and the establishment of black political power, all inaugurated uh, first with the presidency of Lincoln, who first became the first black, uh, first sorry, the first president to acknowledge black citizenship in this country, um, and who paved the way for congressional Reconstruction in the South. Um, It's also important to remember that there's a time and place for compromise with your opponents. Uh, Before the Civil War, 
um, the North kept compromising with the South uh, and letting them expand slavery, letting them make slavery a permanent and expansive institution, thereby creating a huge problem. You think of the Missouri Compromise or the Compromise of 1850 that included a draconian fugitive slave law. Uh, these compromises are not that great. Even Reconstruction was overthrown by what most historians think was a dirty compromise uh, between Southern racists uh, and the North. Uh, the Republicans would get the presidency and the South would get white supremacy uh, in return, that they were given the green light uh, virtually to suppress the black vote. Um, as it is, Reconstruction was winding down, uh, but in 1877, the so-called Compromise of 1877 led to the withdrawal of some of the last troops, federal troops from the South, and the fall of Reconstruction governments in the last three states that still had them, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Florida. We cannot to repeat those mistakes. Uh, besides uh, the promise of Reconstruction, the first one, we must remember the promise of the second Reconstruction, the Civil Rights Movement, and Dr. King's legacy. And I want to uh, end with that because um, this is the month that we have the MLK holiday um, and that we commemorate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he died participating in the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, in a sanitation workers' strike in Memphis, Tennessee, before he was assassinated by a white supremacist. And I think it is important for us to remember that today. Uh, we have uh, people who are trying to carry on his legacy, especially the Poor People's Campaign of today, led by Reverend William Barber of North Carolina. Uh, he is leading the charge for racial equality, for e economic fairness, um, and also for voting rights uh, for black people. Uh, so we have activists today who are carrying forth Dr. King's legacy. Not So uh, I think it is important to remember that this fight for voting rights is really old and it began with emancipation. Uh, we can see that immediately after slavery was ended, you um, had a African-Americans, particularly the activist free black community in New Orleans, approach uh, Lincoln and ask for voting rights. Uh, this is the first uh, uh, attempt during the Civil War to actually have voting rights for black people. Of course, black men could vote only in a handful of New England states before the Civil War. Uh, and it seems that, Dr., that President Lincoln listened to them. Uh, not just the New Orleans delegation led by Arnold Botanew and John Baptiste, uh, but also a delegation of former slaves um, led by people like Albert Gallatin, a black abolitionist, um, sorry, Albert Galloway, a black abolitionist from North Carolina. Uh, these men, these black men uh, requesting the right to vote were received graciously by President Lincoln and seemed to have influenced his thinking on black voting rights. Before the war, he had not endorsed a black voting rights. But at the end of the Civil War, his last speeches were for black voting rights, particularly, he said, black men who had served in the Union Army, who were educated and literate like the men he met from Louisiana and North Carolina. 
um, men who are specially worthy, as he put it. And in fact, Lincoln is assassinated precisely because of his support for black citizenship and black male voting. So we have a long history of black people fighting for equal voting rights. They had done that in the North uh, before the Civil War. This is a fight led by abolitionists, because remember, abolition, as I argue in my book, The Slave's Cause, a history of abolition, was not just to end slavery, but also to establish racial equality, also to establish black citizenship in the American Republic. So this is a long and ongoing fight. Um, we saw how it was established during Reconstruction and then taken away again with the rise of Jim Crow and the overthrow of Reconstruction, and then eventually gotten again during the Civil Rights Movement. But now we are living at a moment when even the gains of the Civil Rights Movement are under attack. Uh, those voting rights are under attack. And I think it is important to remember that it is a long fight that African Americans themselves began uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries within the abolition movement. Um, it's also, I think, important to remember that when Dr. King died, uh, he died, as I said, uh, fighting and participating in um, uh, a sanitation workers' strike in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and it shows that Dr. King was aware not just for formal, was fighting not just for formal political and civil rights, but also for social justice, for economic fairness. Um, and it's important to remember that radical Dr. King, who opposed the Vietnam War, who fought for economic justice. Now, he participated in this strike in 1968 because two Memphis garbage collectors, Nicole Cole and Robert Walker, had been crushed to death by a garbage truck. So again, African-Americans were made to perform the, the worst kind of menial labor in unsafe conditions. Um, and that is when, in fact, they went on strike and they were led by a union organizer um, and supported by the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees uh, that still exists today. Um, so that was the fight uh, that Dr. King ended his life with. Uh, he decided to lend the prestige of his name to the striking workers um, of uh, garbage workers of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and uh, we often forget that. Uh, we often forget that. We only remember the Dr. King of the March in Washington. But in 1968, on the eve of it, he was actually fighting for uh, the things that we are still fighting for, which is uh, social justice economic fairness, um, and, and ways to prevent, actually, um, you know, uh, black people in particular, uh, people of color in particular, uh, but also, uh, in fact, uh, all working class people in this country uh, to prevent them from receiving slave wages in substandard uh, conditions. Um, uh, another important fact about Reconstruction is the immense uh, progress that was made in public education uh, for everyone, actually, not only with the establishment of the historically black colleges and universities, the HBCUs, uh, but the Morrill Act, the Land Grant Act, uh, that established land-grant universities, 
public state universities uh, throughout the North uh, for everyone, not just for black people, but also for whites for whom university education may have been out of reach. Um, of course, we must remember that these land grants were given at the cost of Native Americans. Native Americans were dispossessed of their land in order for these land grant colleges to be founded. Uh, and I don't think you should forget that uh, because many times we forget how complex history can be. We should remember the good things that happened in the past, but also acknowledge perhaps the injustices that sometimes accompanied them. Um, and I think if you look at the history of Reconstruction and you look at the laws that were passed uh, at that time, especially the Morrell Land Grant Act, uh, we must remember that. Uh, what is that? I didn't get the Native, Native The Native American colleges. They yeah. were schools um, created around the same time. Are you familiar well, they with were, the, Yeah, they were created a little later. They were boarding schools, but they were terrible. Uh, okay. They literally kidnapped children's uh, Native American parents and or cajoled them into giving up their children and they put them in these awful oppressive boarding schools where they were abused and where they tried to forcibly assimilate them culturally. So I think it's important um, to remember that. Yeah, sure. it was really bad. And they first tried that actually at Hampton. They sent Native Americans to Hampton, but they were so racist that they said, uh, we can't have Native Americans learning the ways of civilization from black people. They need to learn it from whites. So they created separate boarding schools for Native Americans. Um, and it's a, it's a very bad history. All this will be in my forthcoming book on Reconstruction, which I'm just completing right now. Uh, the most important, of course, was voting rights for black Americans. And just recently, uh, the John Lewis voting rights bill and another bill was stalled in the Senate, even though a majority of senators were willing to vote for it by an archaic rule of the Senate, the filibuster, which is a rule that allows a minority to block action on any law um, as long as they want um, and not to basically take any action on anything, even though they might be a majority. What you would need then is a supermajority, which is a vote of 60, um, in order to get rid of the filibuster and to act on the bill. Now, because Democrats have only 50 senators and the Senate is so closely divided with Vice President Kamala Harris, um, destined to play a crucial role in breaking a tie, um, we do not have the luxury of uh, using the filibuster to block voting rights bills in Congress. In fact, the filibuster is not in the Constitution. It was never visualized by the founders. In fact, it has led to dysfunction in the Senate uh, and has historically been used by Southern white senators to block progress on voting rights and other federal rights for black people, including an anti-lynching bill, which they blocked until very recently. 
So the filibuster has very rarely been used for any good cause. It has been usually used to block progress in democracy and black rights, and that's exactly how it was used this year in 2022. It is as if we are back in the Jim Crow South when a group of unregenerate white Southern senators, Dixiecrats, stymie civil rights and political rights legislation. Um, what happened, and this happened ironically immediately after MLK Day, was that uh, two senators, two Democratic senators, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, refused to allow an exception for this bill to be passed, uh, allow an exception to the filibuster. Uh, what we were asking them to do was not even completely overturn the filibuster, which actually needs to be done uh, because it completely um, stymies all legislation in the Senate. Uh, but what we needed them to do was to carve out an exception for a federal voting rights bill. This is a matter of great urgency in 2022 when we have the midterm elections coming up. Several states, red states, states in the South particularly, have passed restrictive voting rights bills uh, that recreate Jim Crow-like conditions. Uh, they have been doing this for a long time, but now systematically they are passing laws uh, to prevent an electoral majority uh, from uh, booting them out of power. Uh, and this, ironically, is being done by the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln in the 19th century, but now the party of the neo-Confederacy. It's amazing, of course, always to see how the parties, the political parties, have flipped roles. So this federal legislation for voting rights is crucial. As President Barack Obama pointed out, and others have pointed out, uh, that without these federal laws that protect voting rights, uh, we are back to a situation uh, pre-civil rights movement. We are back to a situation where states can willy-nilly prevent citizens from voting. By Voting Rights Act that enfranchise a majority of African Americans in the South um, has been gutted by the Supreme Court in its egregious decision, Shelby versus Holder, uh, where uh, the provision of the law that made it necessary for states to undergo federal supervision before they could pass voting restrictive laws was done away with. Now we are left with a situation where southern states can go back to form and pass these restrictive laws. And these laws have been proposed by Republicans in states all over the Union, even in the North. So they have been most successful in states like Georgia, Texas, Florida, where they can see the writing on the wall. They know that if elections and the democratic process is allowed to function, they will be voted out of power. So what they are doing now with, as one judge said, the surgical procession through voter suppression, gerrymandering, and other dirty tricks uh, like uh, simply removing electoral drop boxes, preventing uh, voting by mail, making it far more difficult for people to vote, um, even not complying with requests for voter registration forms. 
the state of Texas refused to even comply with, uh, with the request of the League of Women Voters to give them voter registration forms. So they will try anything and everything, uh, including appointing electoral officials who will do what officials refuse to do in the presidential elections of 2020, which is to overturn a legitimate vote count. Um, this is very dangerous ground that we are in, not just for black voters, but for American democracy in general. Because once you start restricting the rights of people, it affects democracy as a whole. What you get is minority rule. As James Madison pointed out, protections for minority can never overturn the fundamental principle of democracy, and that is majority rule. What is most galling to me is to see senators like Manchin and Cinema who claim to support voting rights uh, and then go ahead and refuse to carve out this exception. In fact, Mitch McConnell and uh, the Republicans have carved out an exception to the filibuster to pass with narrow majorities tax cuts for millionaires uh, and also to confirm Supreme Court justices who were peculiarly right-wing and somewhat unqualified to even be in the court. So what we have today is a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives, a Democratic presidency, uh, but that is completely stymied, hand-tied by an undemocratic Senate with its undemocratic rules, with its Jim Crow rules, um, and two senators, Democratic senators, unfortunately, who are willing to let the Republicans get away with this. And of course, we have a Supreme Court now with such a right-wing majority that we have justices in the court whose own family members are involved with extreme right-wing insurrectionist MAGA groups. So we are in a bad place uh, when our system is being used to undermine fundamental American democratic ideals. Uh, and what galls me even more is to have these people quote Dr. King uh, and pretend as if they subscribe to his ideals when everything they do is a slap in the face of every decent American citizen and to Dr. King's legacy. Uh, as his daughter tweeted, if people really wanted to honor her father, and all the martyrs and heroes of the civil rights movement, uh, they should be actively promoting a federal voting rights act that will prevent an election from being overthrown. Um, the MAGA group tried it violently with the January 6th insurrection, uh, and now they are trying it with dirty legal tricks, exactly the way the South behaved immediately after the Civil War. First, they formed the Ku Klux Klan and other racist white terror groups to overthrow Reconstruction state governments, to overthrow black citizenship and black male suffrage. And then they used dirty legal tricks in their state constitutions and in state laws to prevent black people from voting. We are also marking, of course, the first anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, and it is sobering to think that what 
the what I call the GQP because they are attempting a coup on American democracy. What they could not achieve violently, they are trying to achieve now with state laws and other kinds of dirty political tricks. Um, what's heartening, though, to notice in this anniversary, January 6th, is that the people who were responsible for desecrating the Capitol and who were responsible for attempting by violent coup to prevent the counting of electoral votes and the inauguration of the Biden presidency, uh, that they have been charged. Uh, and they have been charged uh, actually uh, for uh, sedition. This is not a minor charge. You are committing sedition against the American Republic. Uh, if we go back in history, uh, the people who were initially charged with treason and sedition were Confederates. Uh, the ideological forebears of these people um, who tried to destroy, again, the Union, um, again, as a result of a presidential election, the election of Abraham Lincoln, an anti-slavery president in 1860. Um, and Dave, uh, Davis was tried for treason and so were others. And according to the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, when you commit treason against the United States, you are barred from office holding. Unfortunately, we know what happened. We know that Reconstruction was overthrown, that many of these ex-Confederates were pardoned by Congress as required by the amendment, and many of them were then elected. But I think it is really important now to use that clause of the 14th Amendment to prevent people who have actively aided and abetted the January 6th insurrectionists, which includes senators like Josh Hawley, and congressmen like Jim Jordan and others from ever occupying high political office in this country. Unfortunately, the Senate is deadlocked with that 50-50 vote and cinema and mansion are completely blind to the grave threat to democracy and they are aiding and abetting this attack with their hypocrisy. They call for bipartisanship when Republicans on purely party votes have basically wreaked havoc on our political system, either by saying voter suppression laws or laws against the teaching of the history of our country, uh, all kinds of laws that are very reminiscent of authoritarian and fascist regimes rather than of democratic countries. So on this anniversary of January 6th, we should buckle down and do our best to prevent voter suppression and intimidation uh, and in fact out-organize Republicans. Unfortunately, to implement our agenda, we always need a supermajority. While the Republican minority is able to get away because of the peculiarities of Senate and Senate rules, they are able to get away with uh, implementing the agenda of a minority. So therefore, minority rule, they are anti-democratic. In fact, I would say they are un-American, as un-American as those Confederate seditionists who took up arms against the United States in the 1860s during the Civil War. This year, this month rather, is also the one-year anniversary of the Biden-Harris presidency. Uh, and despite the fact 
that the mainstream media has been extremely harsh in its assessment of of the Biden-Harris presidency, I think we can look back at this year and mark some substantial progress. We did get the Build Back Better infrastructure bill. Um, It is so successful that Republicans who voted against it are trying to take credit for it in their particular states and constituencies because its provisions are so popular. Who does not want better roads and bridges, more access to the internet, uh, better schools? Who does not want to invest in the future of our country? Most patriotic American citizens do, but this remains that Republicans, a majority of Republicans, even though we call this a bipartisan vote, an overwhelming majority of them actually voted against it. And it's important to remember that. They have also blocked other progressive legislation, um, and they're able to block the voting rights bill in the Senate because, as I mentioned earlier, of this arcane filibuster rule. But the economy is actually doing very well. All the time, you will hear the mainstream media just talk about inflation. Uh, In fact, inflation is a result of global forces over which Biden has little control, but it is also the result of the fact that American workers refuse to work for slave wages. Wages have gone up, employment has gone up, the economy is booming. And that's what happens when the economy is at an uptick. Prices rise. But you have a concomitant rise in wages and in employment. American workers are refusing to work in bad conditions for slave wages. And I think that is a good thing. Now, inflation has already come down, gas prices are down, and other things that affect the global market will have its impact on the American economy. But in fact, Uh, the American economy is actually doing extremely well. Uh, And unfortunately, people are not giving credit where it is due. And that is, in fact, to the presidency of Joe Biden. Um, We have an Omicron surge this winter, but we noticed not that many people died. Uh, At least those who were hospitalized or who died tended to be the unvaccinated. And here's another instance of Republicans betraying Uh, American democracy. And I think it is important, again, to remember that uh, American democracy is betrayed when you do not protect the public health of American people. Uh, People like Ron DeSantis and others have launched a campaign against vaccination mandates against the American people. Uh, And then they blame Joe Biden for the pandemic. In fact, we have a very uh, effective and efficient policy against the pandemic. Uh, The Biden presidency, I mean, has been effective in dealing with this latest surge. They are sending out masks. They are sending out uh, tests, rapid tests uh, to each American citizen. One cannot imagine this happening during the Trump presidency, who did not even acknowledge the existence of the pandemic. Uh, when he left the economy in shambles after inheriting a booming economy from President Obama and then trying to take credit for that. Uh, He left the economy in shambles. He left the country in shambles uh, to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I find that the media and their constant critique of Biden's policies has had an effect on his poll numbers. 
They don't seem to realize that the alternative is really going to sink our country in every respect. Uh, I should also point out that uh, Kamala Harris tends to get very bad press, and that's again reflected in her poll numbers uh, because the press does not give her a fair shake. The vice president's role is not a particularly big role. Um, they generally are a supporting cast to the president. Uh, but President Biden did give Kamala Harris some important responsibilities. Uh, I think the most successful thing that she did at the end of the year was her trip to France, uh, where she mended fences with President Macron and the French government uh, after the kerfuffle with the U.S. government over the selling of uh, airplanes where uh, the U.S. Uh, won a contract that had been previously granted to France. Now, that visit was so successful in Europe, and the European media praised her and covered it extensively. But you did not hear a word about it in the American media. It's as if they completely blacked her out. Uh, and I think that's a real problem that people of color, especially women of color, face in this country, that they are always underestimated, always written off, uh, even though they may do an exemplary job of whatever responsibilities are handed to them. So very uh, interesting to um, talk to all of you today uh, about the long history uh, for the struggle for black equality and voting rights, a particularly pertinent topic as we celebrated MLK Day in this month. I look forward to speaking to you in February, which is, of course, Black History Month. Uh, but for us here at Block Talk Radio, um, every month is Black History Month. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.